Welcome everyone to Love and Pod, the weekly Trigun Stampede podcast. I am your host, Lady Zeon the Double Fang, and with me as always is my co-host, Kai the Non-Binary Typhoon. Hi, I'm Kai Keta, and the passage of time creeping ever closer to me scares me every day. <laughs> okay, now you're going to have to contextualize that statement for the audience. Yeah, for sure, that's the idea. <laughs> One, I'm turning 28 this month, so that's going to be fun, but that's not coming Bitch, up. I turned 39 in two weeks. <laughs> but um, Three weeks? Three weeks. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was just hanging out on my Twitter timeline, and I was seeing people from the Monkey Kid, artists and stuff that I followed from the Monkey Kid fandom, most of which are... Uh, between the ages of, like, 17 and 21, honestly, and saw them talking about the original Trigun anime in the context of they were, they watched Stampede as it was coming out, and now they're going back and looking at the original Trigun anime, which they keep referring to Trigun 98, which is totally fair and makes sense and still breaks my brain that Trigun is not the default title. <laughs> um, and it just really slapped me in the face with the original Trigun anime that was your favorite anime for at least over a decade before you got into Shirobako. Yeah, it's it's a it's a uh, relic of the past now. It's something to look back on and compare to other things. And also, these people are freaking out that they're finding out that Vash is voiced by the same person who voices Naja. And not the other way around. Take your shot. <laughs> yeah, not the other way around. That was a Monkey Kid reference. Take yeah, your shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, oh, it broke me. I had a whole crisis on my Twitter about it. I went into my Discord server. I'm like, am I, I got called a fandom grandparent. I, and, that, oh. and I got called that in the server that is for, like, only people who are adults, right? And it, I don't know, man, I was just like, oh, it really messed with me. <laughs> you just feel like your, your 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 bones start aching and your back hurts and you're just like, oh, no. Something that was like considered a, you know, um, standard anime for everyone to have seen by the time I was in high school. It was like, yeah, everyone's had to have seen Trigun and Cowboy Bebop, you know, there's a good list of those. Um, and that was just understood. There used to be, like, the holy canon of anime. If you were going to get into anime, here's your homework. Here's, like, your Old Testament before you jump into the new stuff. Yep, Cowboy Bebop, Trigun, or on High School Host Club, Full Metal yeah. Alchemist. All, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's just the idea that it was, if you hadn't seen one of those, you were the odd one out, and you got hit with the... What? No, you have to see it. Everyone has to see these. And now I'm, like, finding out that there's people who didn't even know Trigun was a thing until now. Um, just put emphasis on the age gap between us. You talking about, like, the holy canon of old school anime, and then you tossed in Auron, and I go, Oh, no, that was, that one, that one used to be one of the new ones. Oh, oh yeah, no, I wouldn't say it was considered an old school anime so much I, as it, it is was now. Like, it really it, it is. It is now, but, like, it, at that time when I was in high school and that list was relevant, you noticed I said Full Metal Alchemist and not Brotherhood yeah. as well. It wasn't so much that those were all the classic older ones at the time, so much as it was just the ones that everybody had seen. Because Oron had a big reach right out the gate. Yeah, I feel like there's like a handful of shows from that time, from that era, that are just like the must-sees, though. Like, Oron, Gurren Lagan, Haruhi Suzumiha. There we go. Yeah, thank you. I was trying to use, like, the proper Japanese pronunciation, and then my mouth just wouldn't allow me to. Because <laughs> it's Suzumiya, not Suzumiya. Oh, right. Yeah, it would all have, like, yeah. that flat syllable sound to it. Yeah, they don't put <laughs> emphasis on individual syllables in their words. Okay, so time to talk about the new episode of Trigun Stampede. Woo! Yep, we're going to find out if uh, this next episode recontextualize the previous episode to make it better or not so let's just get into it all righty 
The episode opens with a young Nye playing piano. Vash comes up, is playing with him. We jump forward to a teenage Nye still playing piano. A doctor comes in. And before they can really discuss anything, an alarm goes off. They go to the chamber where all the plants are kept. There's like hundreds of them. And they seem to all be dying. Nye wants them saved. The doctor isn't sure if he can. Uh, some engineers walk up and they're like, oh yeah, uh, the plants have hit their production limit. We're about to do a last run to get the last little bit of power out of them. And Nye just watches all these plants die. He just loses his shit, murders some of the engineers. That's when Vash shows up. We pick up from where we left off in the previous episode. Vash approaching him. Nye goes off about human nature and like this is who they really are and they're not worth saving. And then Nye goes and murders a bunch more scientists and Vash tries to stop him. And that's when we get the name Millions Knives. And he explains that, like, you know, he is an instrument of the plants. Like, he represents all the plants, and he is an instrument for them. He is literally millions of knives for them to defend themselves. Which, honestly, I think is really fucking cool. We'll get to that. That is really cool. Knives is trying to convert Vash over to his side. He's like, we have our own free will. We don't need to obey them. Luida shows up. To try and bring Vash back. Knives wants Vash to kill Luida. Vash refuses. Knives takes a gun to kill Luida. Vash tackles Knives. Knives pushes Vash away. And just starts choking Luida. Vash in a state of panic. Opens what appears to be some sort of black hole in his arm. That's like sucking everything in. Until Knives flies at him. Cutting his arm off. Luida goes to, like, pick Vash up. Knives is screaming at her to put him down. Don't touch him. Vash pulls a gun on Knives, rejecting him. And Knives allows Vash to leave while he goes on his tangents about his plans to build a new world. A world for plants in the next hundred years. Flash forward. Brad is checking on Vash's arm. Vash is, in fact, at home. He is with Brad and Luida. And he finds out that everyone on the Sand Steamer, Meryl, Wolfwood, all of them, they are perfectly fine. And they are now at the ship, at home. Luida shows them their greenhouse with all of their flora, something that they have never seen before. Roberto is an asshole as per usual. Vash exposits about how he wants to save everyone, including Knives. Wolfwood kind of shits on his ideology. Brad actually defends Vash, saying that he used to be the same way when he was Wolfwood's age. Then suddenly Luida runs in saying, Oh shit, we were attacked by worms and they kidnapped Meryl and Roberto. Hard cut to Zazie the Beast. They are now in what is... I guess is the city of July, which is a crashed uh, plant ship carrier that's filled with a lot of dead red plants. Zazie goes on this whole spiel about they're at a crossroads. Who should the worms side with? The plants or the humans? He talks about how humans are repeat offenders, that humans destroyed the earth. And this is basically just like where the episode ends with Zazie just kind of saying, who will he let live? So I have an interesting note about the flowers that we saw. Mm -hmm. It's really like, it scratches my brain. Right? I guess it's the right way to put it. I don't claim to be a florist who can write or a botanist or anything who can recognize types of flowers super easily. But I see a field of blue flowers and my, I love Prussian history, but goes, hey, that was the national flower of Prussia, and I, it being the, like, national flower of Prussia is because of a story that Queen Louis of Prussia, or Louise, whatever, German. So I think it's interesting, or I can't be certain, that they are meant to be blue cornflowers on the ship. That is what I thought of as soon as I saw them. And I feel like there's a, some kind of connection to the fact that those are the national flower of... Prussia, um, or of, was the national flower of Prussia back when that was a nation, because there was a queen of Prussia who was fleeing Berlin and pursued by Napoleon's forces, and she hid her children in a field of cornflowers and kept them quiet by weaving wreaths for them from the flowers. 
And I feel like there's something to be said there about, like, there's all this danger all around us. The world is, like, awful and scary. And yet home is, you know, sitting in a field of blue cornflowers, essentially. Like, I feel like there's a connection there to be made. I don't know if that's on purpose. I don't even know if those actually are cornflowers. I'm sure somebody who knows flowers better than me could probably say there's another blue flower that those look like. I mean, there are plenty of blue flowers. I honestly didn't make any kind of connection like that, obviously. Uh, I will say, I'm not sure how much I actually have to say about this episode, because I feel like, much like the last one with the backstory, it's one that's kind of going through the motion, where you have just more of the backstory stuff, and it's basically just Vash runs up on knives, there's a little bit of a conflict there, they talk about humanity and plants and nature... Then, you know, shit goes down, giant gateway thing opens in Vash's arm, he gets cut off, flash forward, and we're basically just already on the ship. Really no explanation of how we got there, and, like, the entire story is now, oh yeah, we're here now, and then, oh shit, uh, some bug man just took your compatriots, and it's just, wait, what? Um, this episode is weird to me and I don't have strong feelings on it one way or the other honestly kind of like the last episode honestly I really wish we had done these back to back (laughs) I definitely felt like I guess it was the latter half once it like got out of the backstory it was in the present time I felt Uh like it was paced really weird because it felt really fast all of a sudden it felt very rushed of like okay introduce roberto and meryl to to home introduce them to luida and brad introduce them to the concept that these two are still here and are keeping themselves isolated from everyone because they're trying to turn this planet into earth 2.0 basically so they don't have to rely on they're basically trying to terraform yeah basically and then suddenly it's off screen meryl and roberto get like kidnapped and we're freaking out about it they got grabbed and i don't know did i just like go uh, I, crazy no, no you 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 were you are entirely on fucking point because the first half of the episode is still going through the motions of the backstory stuff and just like before it's good backstory stuff. I can't really complain. Then, the second half of the episode, we are already starting off on this ship. <gasps> Where's my friends? Don't worry, they're all alive. They're also here. And it's just like, oh, Vash, these are your friends. Oh, you've known them for 150 years? Like, oh yeah, no, cryosleep. Oh, okay. Also, here, let me show you our flowers. Okay, hard cut back to Vash. Oh, fuck, they've been kidnapped. It's like, what? It's just... Oh my god, this show just will not... Like, you don't get to have, like, just, like, a small conversational moment with characters. Not necessarily to point, like, well, this is good, and now this is bad because it's different, but, like... The, the 90s anime as well as the manga, you would have moments where you could just... Especially in the 90s anime, where you could just sit with these characters and let them have a moment and feel like people... And no, none of that. We have to get just enough information across before the next big plot point happens. And the next big plot point felt weird as fuck and just really abrupt. Yeah, because abrupt we didn't is a see great any word. of it. Like, like Luita might as well have like run in there and been like, "Oh my god, they just got attacked and kidnapped by giant worms." If you were to render that in CGI, it would cost so much money. <laughs> Oh, man, that's a good point, too. Like, honestly, there's so many things where it feels like they don't do a thing. Because, well, if we go and, like, animate the worms attacking and catching them, well, then we have to, like, animate, like, the dome shattering, and that's, that's hard. And that's, like, valid, but also this is not the way to work around that. You know, this is not the way to oh, work no, around not that at kind all. of uh, limitation. It, uh, abrupt is definitely a good word for it. Because at first, I didn't even realize that they were no longer on the home ship when it cuts back to Meryl and Roberto. I thought they were just in another room. Oh, yeah, no. Because he had same. just finished saying to Meryl, hey, help me find uh, a place to smoke. 
and then it cut, I'm pretty sure. I don't think there was anything else that was said between any of the characters. And yeah. so it's like, when I see them waking up somewhere, I'm like, did they fall and get knocked out? Like, did did him smoking somewhere actually break something? What happened? Uh-huh. And I really felt like I was taking crazy pills or I missed something because I was like, what? How did... What? <laughs> oh, they're kidnapped by Zazie the Beast. Oh, okay. Credit where it's due. I really like the way they have Zazie coming in and saying worms are gonna... Like, he represents all the worms. It's the freaking Lorax of this world, I yeah. guess. He represents the worms of the world and is making the point of, Hey, uh, I'm pretty sure, like, you guys are all alien to me. Yeah. Plants, humans, you're all alien to me. Uh, so I need to figure out which one of you is the good aliens and which one of you is going to Independence Day my house. Yeah, it's just like, (laughs) which one of you guys is going to fuck me over? And you guys kind of already fucked your entire planet, so... Yeah, and clearly Knives has gotten to him first, too, so that doesn't help matters with how the worms feel about humans. Yeah. And I also will say... I really like the backstory stuff with Knives and Vash as well today, or this episode, because um, even though I've read the manga and I watched the, the original anime, I felt for once real sympathy and understanding towards Knives' point. Like, beyond, yeah, I know people think this way, and this is how people argue like against pacism to, pacifism to me, and I know it's real, but I never really felt like I related to or understood fully where Knives was coming from. I didn't yeah. feel empathetic towards him. Even when, even in the manga with the stuff with, you know, all that happened in their backstory there, I still didn't really connect with Knives and his emotions of why he was doing what he was doing. Like, I understood it, but I didn't connect emotionally with it. I... But here, I did. I definitely agree. I also really like feel like I actually understand Knives, this this incarnation of Knives now. In the nineties anime, no fucking clue. He is he's barely a character. <laughs> the manga, they do explore him a lot. Yeah. And like I fully understand him. I will say though that like because of how out there his plans are, I think one of the things that like helps humanize this knives more is we still don't quite know what his plans are at this point in the story we know that he wants to build a world for plants but we don't really know like what shape that's going to take because like one of the things i feel that like kind of despite how ridiculously badass it is knives in the manga turning into a giant final fantasy mutant boss fight (laughs) in the manga definitely kind of disconnects you from him a bit and dehumanizes him because he's literally just this fucking massive like Tetsuoi blobby flesh and angel wings. Yeah. That shoots death lasers. There's also the idea where, like, I had gotten this sense originally, I think, that it was, again, even with knowing the backstory from the manga with knives, I had always had the sense of it was a superiority thing of plants are better than humans. And now with this yeah. backstory, it really feels like it's a survival thing. It's a defense thing. Yes. Of they will literally kill all of our kind just for an extra burst of power. Mm-hmm. We can't trust them to be around. They are now pests. I'm really curious to know what Knives was doing with those people. I can't tell, like, what his alignment was, what those people were there to do. You would said it would be really cool if they did an episode where it's now the flashback from Knives' perspective. And now I'm like, man, I really wish we had gotten that because I don't know who the fuck any of these people are. Because Knives seems to be, like, affiliated with them until they start murdering plants for the sake of power. And then he murders them. And it's just like, did he not know what they were about? I'm very confused about, like, his relation to those people. Yeah, and it felt like it was they didn't trust him and want him in there. They were, like, very hostile when they saw that the doctor or whatever let him in there. Yeah. Which was a stage in Vash's relationship with the people on home as well. Okay, but there's no way Vash had the exact same relationship arc with these guys that Knives did because Knives got into this hating humans and wanting them all dead 
he was mad that Rim managed to get in and save someone. Right. Yeah, like, I want to know, and I feel like we kind of need to know, because it I can't make sense of it in my head of how did Knives get to the point where he's on this ship and he feels, like, a sense of betrayal from these guys because of how they're hurting the plants. Like, I, I got that feeling. I don't yeah. know if you did, but I got the feeling that Knives felt betrayed by how these people were abusing the plants. And I'm like, but... Isn't that why you killed all humans anyways? He definitely seems surprised by um, their actions. And I'm like, isn't this what you expect? Though I definitely empathize with this version of Knives more, I feel like I, I have not a very good understanding of like how he got to where he is. Like, I feel like this episode helped characterize Knives really well. But then on the flip side... Also made me ask a lot of questions about his backstory that I didn't have before. Right, exactly. And I'm always somebody who makes the point of, like, all because you have questions or don't know something in a story doesn't make it bad. Like, stories don't have to tell you everything. They only have to tell you what's relevant to them. Stories are allowed mm -hmm. to leave things open for you to fill in the blanks however you think it happened. This is definitely something I feel like needs to be filled in because I am very confused. Like, they obviously want to flesh out Knives as his own character with his own arc going on. So we need to see more of it. We can't have it open about, like, mm -hmm. how did we go from mad that Rim saved some of the humans to feeling betrayed by some of the humans and turning on them to hating them and seemingly living with them until that point. There's a step missing here, but we still have more episodes, so there's a chance. I really would be upset if the next episode started again cold open with backstory. Like, that'll annoy me a bit, because I'm like, okay, alright, uh, pick a lane. Yeah! <laughs> Quit going back and forth like this. Uh, the way this story dispenses its backstories is suboptimal. To be nice. Like, as far as, like, the overall, like, the structure and everything, like, yeah. so, like the second half of the episode felt <laughs> really weirdly paced, and it felt like budgetary constraints. Like, they just didn't want to animate certain things, because, like, well, we, we would have to, like, shatter our 3D dome and, like, you know, destroy, like, environmental stuff, and that's hard. That's a lot harder than moving a character model around, so they just didn't want to do it, which is... That, that is my theory that I am sticking with. I just didn't want to fucking deal with it, which is why it was so weirdly done off screen. But uh, there's a lot of little lines here and there. Like when all the plants are dying and the engineers are like, oh yeah, we've hit the production limit on the plants. And he says like, you know, they've been cut off from the higher dimension and can't maintain their bodies. Yeah, I want to know more about that. So once again... <laughs> Like, uh, another reference to, like, like another plane of existence of power, which was hinted at by Knives. It's, here it is again, uh, a little bit more directly. So, plants, as far as we could tell, get their power from some other plane of existence that they're able to tap into. And then when they're no longer able to tap into it, they can't maintain their bodies and they shrivel up and die. So this the, the way you just described that. So Vash's power kind of opens up this black hole looking thing that sucks everything into yeah. it. And they refer to it as a gate. Fucking reverse angel yeah, arm. They refer, <laughs> they're referring to it as a gate. Now when you hear the word gate, what do you think of? You think of like a door or a way to get from one place to another that opens up and closes at will, whatever, right? And yeah. we also know that Vash seems to have this unique ability to connect with the plants and talk with them. And when they're red and on that, like, oh, we're running out of power, heals them and gets them reconnected. I'm thinking Vash's power is connecting more directly to that other plane of existence. Okay. And that's how when he has the little head touch moments... When they're getting red, and like what this episode told us of, oh, they can no longer connect to the higher dimension. When they turn red, it's a sign of they can no longer connect to that higher dimension. And so if Vash's power, mm -hmm. which is called a gate, is actually supposed to be a gate or a pathway, an entrance way to that higher dimension, it makes sense that when he does the head touchy thing with them and has a moment with them, he can reconnect them to it. 
he acts as that pathway. That's my theory now. Okay. That's why it's called a gate. That's why it seems to open up to this other place, mm-hmm. black hole style. That's my theory now. I'm sticking to it. And we did get to see, like, <laughs> Knives actually, like, develop his blades out of nothing. Yeah, no, that is, like, a thing that yeah. he can do. Like, he can literally, like, manifest a metal-like substance that he chooses to manifest his blades. So, we at least got some mild explanations of that. Once again, I just like to say, the backstory, the origin of Knives' name, Millions Knives, that was sick. <laughs> Like, him talking about, like, being, like, a tool or an instrument or whatever of all the plants. That, like, he is literally, like, the knife that they will defend themselves with. He's over here acting like he is the, um, Michael the Archangel with the sword. Oh my god, the eye of Michael! Oh, it's all coming together! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Giving him an origin to the name Million... Because, like, in the anime and the manga... It was, his name was just Knives, which is fine. But then, like, when he comes back and he's Millions Knives, I I never quite understood why he went with that name, other than it just sounded badass. (laughs) Which, you know, if that's your reason for it, legit, it does sound (laughs) badass. But, like, giving it, like, a, a meaning to it like that just made it so much fucking cooler. Like, I almost fucking, like, clapped when he said that. I'm like, oh, that's so fucking cool. Why couldn't we get that with Gigi the Mine? Was it Gigi? What was his name? E.G. the Mine. E.G. the Mine. I I figured, no, Gigi means good game. God, Kai, (laughs) come on, get it together. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, I wish we could have gotten, like, a cool explanation for that, because that name change happened. They can obviously do it. Okay, so I am realizing, (laughs) though, it seems like we're not gonna have, like, the gung-ho guns, like, in the, the, the shape that we normally have them in, because we had... Monev the Gale, which wasn't even called Monev the Gale, and thing like he was basically just Monev in design only, really just a completely different character. And then you have like Wolfwood and Levio, and like you know Monev, like they're all parts of like the Eye of Michael like experimentations that like are all done in the name of Knives. Yeah, it does feel like. Beyond the ones who are connected with, like, experimentation of the Eye of Mm -hmm. Michael, it does feel like they kind of are acting mostly independently. Yeah. Uh, As opposed to one solid gung-ho gun group. But then you have characters like Legato, or E.G. Mine, or Zazie the Beast, and they seem to be independent. Like, they seem to just be their own people especially Zazie. Zazie straight up told us this episode that he is acting he will work with whoever can convince him that they're yeah. better for the planet. Zazie is just in it for himself which fair. Legato he is like drinking that Kool-Aid. Legato <laughs> is like a 100%. devout knives stan. Uh <laughs> Like, like he, he is at all those concerts rocking his Millions Knives t-shirts. He's writing him fan mail with little hearts on the eyes, all that stuff. His, his AO3 is full of so many Knives fanfics. <laughs> knives X-Reader. <laughs> so we seem to have, like, these henchmen, because they're not even like, you know, the gung-ho guns as we know them. Like, we have these henchmen, and some of them are experiments done under the... Eye of Michael, which is a religion that worships knives. And then we have just a bunch of independent agents, uh, like Legato, who, who knows? Maybe Legato's psychic powers come from some sort of experimentation from knives. Because it feels like all the weird shit now has to come from knives. Yeah. Uh, we can't just have people who are just weird as shit. Yeah, we have to explain everything. What's your tragic backstory? I do feel like a little, um, I can't think of a, I know there's a term out there for this, but I do feel a little bit like kind of hung to, dr- left to dry on, uh, Legato, Livio, and Wolfwood's thing right now, because they were there, and I guess, I guess I can forgive it, because it's a matter of, like, we had to have a moment of looking at the backstory, and that's what's taken up our time to be able to get back to what I feel, uh, is up with those guys. Okay, like, I agree with that, but also I feel like it was very poorly placed. Yeah. Because we had 
all this backstory stuff that was happening in the middle of events, like current day events, with Levio and Wolfwood. And then we have this big reveal at the end of an episode. And then the following episode is, oops, all flashback. And then the next episode is even more flashback because it ended on a cliffhanger. And then the second half is like, okay, well, we need to like establish a bunch of story things like uh get all like the, the bare minimum stuff out of the way and okay cool new conflict they, they've now been kidnapped by zazi off screen i i gotta say i i think off-putting is a good word for it because it feels like i'm getting jerked around which it might be something that i mean now i don't i don't know for sure it could be either or like if you watch binge the whole thing in one sitting is it gonna feel more disjointed or is it gonna feel more cohesive is it gonna feel like a eight hour movie (laughs) which honestly i fucking hate that shit fuck prestige television i know that like when steven universe was coming out it felt weird because of the way that they would drop mass amounts of episodes and so it would get really annoying having all these episodes of like just the characters, you know, messing around, but then, you know, in the middle of, like, just having big plot points and we want to get back to the main plot, but then when you watch the whole thing all together, you know, uh, it actually feels a lot better, and so it was really just a symptom of how it was released. Yeah, like, in the case of that show, though, like, there was, like, these huge gaps. Yeah. This isn't, like, huge gaps. This is just, like, a regular weekly release schedule. And we go from this cliffhanger, because, like, imagine that even if you're watching these episodes all back-to-back, you have cliffhanger of what the fuck's up with Vash. Like, especially if you're, like, a new viewer and you don't know this backstory stuff already and then it's just like we are now just in backstory central for an episode and a half and then when we flash forward to like the present day vash is already on the ship at home uh wolfwood and everyone else is also already there and it's just normal no explanation of how this happened how they knew where vash was how they knew to get him who brought who where yeah who what how where why like i need answers yeah it definitely um the more i think about it the more i'm pretty sure watching it all together would still feel disjointed and in Steven Universe's case, like you said, it was because there'd be these massive breaks of nothing. Yeah. And it was written to be a weekly drop as opposed to, you know, by each season as opposed Fucking to... Fucking Steven like, Bombs. Massive. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and because it was written and expected to be a weekly drop instead of the Steven Bombs, that's why that is, like, one that you can be more, okay, understanding of and watch it all together. As opposed to this, which was written and designed to be weekly drops, so it should work as weekly drops. Steven Universe is also a series that is, first and foremost, it is just like an episodic series that weaves in a greater narrative. Yeah. So, like, if you're upset that it's not getting back to the grander narrative... That's not, like, a problem with the show. That's just, like, you don't care about the bulk of what the show is, which is those episodic, small character moments and adventures. Steven Universe is very focused on character relationships and emotion more than the grander story. Yeah, like, the story is really good and it's there, but, like, it's a lot of character dynamics and and interactions that lead into these big story moments. The reason, like, these story moments even land in Steven Universe is because, like, you know, you spent so much little slice-of-life adventures with them and now big, scary, like, real fucking conflicts. With Trigun Stampede, it's a serialized story. Like, just, just the whole structure of this show has been really annoying to me from, like, the first episode. I really feel like the one super standout episode was, what, episode six? Where we were like, six out of six. Woo. Yeah, the Wolf um, Livio backstory. <laughs> yeah. Because like, that, that was a very good way of having backstory while having present day events yeah. happening. And it's not like the flashbacks ended and then suddenly they were off the sand steamer and somewhere else going, whoo, man, that sure was a crazy adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see the How adventure. did we get here? <laughs> yeah, I do feel like it's very... It feels confused, and I think this goes hand-in-hand with the fact that we have a lot of first-draft syndrome, is it feels like the writing team 
is confused on what the like basic bare bones setup of how this is supposed to be written is. It feels like they're not all on the same page to the point where they don't even realize they're not all on the same page. So they're just kind of doing their thing and assuming everyone else is doing it like that. And so it ends up feeling disjointed. I feel like this show had to have had like a structure, like a plot outline of like, we need to hit this point, this point, this point, this point, this point. And the writers have to fill in how we get from points A to B. Where in the case of this, they didn't fill it in. It was, we had a flashback and we came back to a whole new fucking location. Oh, yeah. Because there is something in that, again, that actually is another symptom of first draft syndrome. Because when you're writing, and this is where like the discovery writing comes in for a lot of people. Contrary to popular belief, having discovery writer versus outliner is not a one or the other. It's a spectrum. And when the discovery writing comes in, it's like, as you're writing, even if you have your outline where you have every point planned out exactly, characters will grow and change and story things will, story elements will come in and happen in ways that you weren't intending. And that changes where you end up going at certain points. I know that that was like something that got brought up a lot when people were talking about Game of Thrones and how it ended was... They had a plan for how they wanted it to end. They didn't really build that up properly and their characters mm-hmm. kind of did their own thing. And then instead of adapting, they just went back to what they had originally planned. And so it could be like, when we're done with the backstory, we have to wake up at home and not looking into considering how it connects to what happened before the backstory. I'm not even upset that we went from cliffhanger to flashback. Because, like, you know, making you wait an episode to get back to that, that's fine. But, one, the backstory stuff was very disconnected to what was going on in the present. Because we know that they're plants, but I feel like a lot of it could have just been skipped over. And I feel like the only thing that even remotely makes the backstory connect to where it was, like where they left off, was... That they wake up on the ship. That they wake up at home. That's the that's the only thing that makes that backstory flashback even connect. Because they had to wake up there. But it's like you didn't fucking bridge that at all. You just shoved the flashback in there. Yeah, because like even Zazie the Beast showing up doesn't even connect to any of the flashback stuff. Yeah. That, that could have, that would have made just as much sense and worked just as well. If you didn't have the backstory. What would have changed if Vash had woken up on the sand steamer and then, oh fuck, Zazie kidnaps them? What changes? Why are we here? In fact, it could have made more sense to have the backstory stuff if it was more contextualized as uh, Vash passed out or whatever. He wakes up on home and sees Lydia and Brad and... Then all that stuff happens. Zazie kidnaps Meryl and Roberto. And then conversations happen between both sides where it's like understood that everyone's hearing or talking about the backstory stuff. And that's Zazie explaining, oh, this is what humans did to knives and to, to all the plants. And this is how I know about what humans did to their previous planet. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, oh, sorry. Like, my brain just shattered for a moment. Okay, so, sorry to de- derail you, but... um. Oh, no, go ahead. The sand steamer <laughs> was plowing towards the orphanage. They stopped the sand steamer right before the orphanage. Yeah. The story does not then lead into the setting being the orphanage. It moves to it being a fucking ship. Why was the target the yep. fucking orphanage yep. then? I mean, I understand, like, it was because of Legato, but, like, narratively, why couldn't it they have been targeting Vash's home? Yeah, and it would have made more sense. The Ion Cannon would have made more sense then, too, because it, you could have, like, sci-fi BS'd your way into saying we're cutting through this sandstorm with it. Yeah, like, you, there's a lot of things you could have said. Like, And it is kind of like, I am going to be salty now that we didn't get to see any kind of reunion or even almost reunion of Wolfwood, like, sadly looking at the orphanage right? and deciding not to go in. Very least, the next episode should have opened with them still on the sand steamer, and just, like, Vash is out cold. And then you could have had, like, 
Luita and Brad show up and be like, we're friends of his. We felt like an energy signature. We're here to help. And then you can jump to the flashback. Yeah, and that would have brought more narrative purpose. And you could contextualize who the fuck these people are. That would have brought more narrative are. purpose to the Ion Cannon. Like, because like you said, they saw a massive energy signature spike. Yeah. Now I'm starting to feel like that is what was intended. But it got cut. Like, because it, it just feels so... Like, so, something got changed. Like, I don't know. Like, this show is such a disjointed mess like it's really frustrating because like when the show is good it's really fucking good but so much of it feels so sloppily constructed that it really undermines all the good stuff like i would love to see like a rewrite of this take on trigon and i did really enjoy (sighs) watching this episode i got like i said this is like the first time i felt genuine sympathy towards Knives and where he's coming from and what he's thinking. Like, I really enjoyed what this episode brought and I had Mm -hmm. fun watching it. And that is, like, a feat in and of itself and worth mentioning. But also, that second half (laughs) had me like, where am I? What's going on? I'm so confused. For me, the, the real standouts in this episode is... All the stuff with knives, pretty much. Him watching the plants die, him murdering the technicians, Vash showing up, knives genuinely wanting Vash to join him, him trying to protect Vash, of all people, from Luida, and then Vash pulling the gun on him. All that stuff. Great. No notes. Fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah. Chef's Chef's kiss. Kiss. Uh, the stuff with Zazie at the end, his whole monologue. Great. I love it. Wouldn't change any of it. Great stuff. Agreed. From the end of that flashback to the Zazie the Beast monologue, everything in between those two points is just a clusterfuck of scenes that needs to just kind of establish where we are, who's who, who's there. Oh, fuck, they've been kidnapped. It is the bare minimum. It's first draft syndrome, and here's the thing, here's the thing, right? When you're writing, if you get stuck on a scene you know you need to write, but you can't seem to get the words to work and all you're thinking is what's coming up and you really want to work on that, you put in parentheses, they talk about this. I'm just seeing now that first draft syndrome, uh, oh, the backstory stuff happens, and then... In parentheses, Luida talks to Mero and Roberto about flowers and plant and like, you know, plants as we know them, IRL, right? And then parentheses, Luida comes running in to tell Vash and Brad that Meryl and Roberto got kidnapped. Right how they got kidnapped later. And then they went on to write the Zazi conversation. And then they forgot to go in and actually fill that stuff in. Like... <laughs> That's what it feels like. Like, I really like the studio when they're adapting work. When they're doing their own original stuff, at least from this one example, it's pretty fucking subpar. Like, like the scripting needs polishing, and it's just frustrating because I see legitimately great things here. It is different from the manga and the classic series in really interesting ways that make me want to see what it's going to do different. But, like, I'm mostly sticking around, well, one, because of this podcast, but two, because I am a fan of Trigun, and I want to see what this reinvention has to offer. Because every so often, it drops me, like, some nuggets that I'm like, oh, that's really good. That's unique. I'm engaged. And then they pull the rug out from under me, and I... Bust my fucking nose on the floor. It's, what it, it's the thing. It's like, we're not hate watching. We clearly like, like genuinely like stuff. And it's not just like a passive, oh yeah, that was good kind of thing. It's like, no, we gen- genuinely gave an episode six out of six because it just went really hard on everything. Like it felt like it was just so good. Yeah. And again, I genuinely was super invested and really liked what they did with knives in this episode. So it's like, it's not hate-watching, it's just getting jerked around and getting whiplash with quality. Oh, show you're being good. And then it goes, lol, JK. <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> I do have one thought that I wanted to uh, bring up when it comes to, like, the Knives and Vash backstory stuff. And this is one of those, like, as a previous fan of, like, the Trigun, like, the original anime, 
I miss the butterfly and spider conversation that happened mm-hmm. because that was that was like that is a scene from the original anime that had always stuck with me and really encapsulates everything that I loved the original series. Like everything that I loved about Trigun could be found in that scene. It was a real philosophical mature debate about the nature of pacifism and how like and it's uh, tendencies to be selfish, it's tendencies to be short-sighted, but also the idea of still wanting to push for everyone to live, right? Because I don't know, for context for anyone listening and mm-hmm. you don't really know what I'm talking about, in the original anime, there's a scene with Vash and Knives uh, walking around as kids with Rim, And Vash sees a butterfly get caught in a spider's web and the spider is slowly crawling over to get it. And Vash is like trying to figure out the best way to get the butterfly out of the web to save it. And Knives reaches in and just crushes the spider and just with a smile on his face says to Vash, it's easier to do it this way. And then they get into an actual fist fight, which to my understanding was the first time they got into a serious fight. Over the idea of Knives saying, no, it's stupid to try to say you can save both, because if you let the butterfly free, then what is the spider going to eat? It's going to end up starving to death. You're killing the spider anyways. And Vash arguing, what's wrong with me trying to save both anyways? I wanted to save both. And that whole scene was just, again, it, it was the first big sign of those two having a difference in philosophy, and it was a big like I said, encapsulates what I always loved about Trigun and why it was considered my favorite anime of all time until I got to see an anime about making anime. Um, I'm still missing that. There's not really something I can point to in this series so far that gave me that similar feeling and understanding or that similar, like, real symbolic philosophical discussion on pacifism. I do really like the plants being directly, like, affected and knives seeing the plant, all of the plants dying and how, like, yeah, now I understand specifically his philosophy on why he thinks, no, humans are a disease and we need to get rid of them. But I'm still missing that feeling of, like, pacifism is short-sighted. I did want to say, like, I said, like, you know, no notes for, like, the beginning stuff, but actually I, I do have a note which was they, from what we could tell, killed all those plants directly in front of knives. Where in the manga, like the scene that it's referencing, is knives walking up to a plant that's uh, on its last legs, and him seeing them being like, "Oh yeah, no, uh, this is just we're just gonna like pump it for like one last bit of power." And then, like, he watches the plant scream in pain and then fall into, like, this heap of blood and flesh. And he's just disgusted and angered by it. Traumatized. Yeah, like, he's just so pissed. And this is, like, an adult Knives seeing that. um, Where, like, I feel like they took that scene from the manga and they're like, okay, well, let's just go ahead and crank it up to 11. Um, instead of being an adult, he's now a teenager, and instead of one plant, it's uh, a hundred of them. All at once. All Not screaming. necessarily like a problem, but it was just like like a thing that stuck out to me, because I was like, oh, it's that thing from the manga. And then they like cranked the knob up on it. I feel like that happens quite a bit in this series. Oh yeah, no, like like this, this anime gets pretty extra. Uh, honestly, though, I definitely like the manga version more just because it felt more visceral and more unsettling, especially like, you know, when the plant collapses inside of the bulb and it's just like this twisted mass of like blood and body and knives is just standing there looking at it. And it's just like there was something about that as opposed to it just kind of disintegrating into like dust that was just more visceral for me. But the way this anime did it is fine. It's good. Um, I just thought it was funny that they, like, like I said, just kind of cranked yeah. that knob up to 11. Yeah, that is interesting. I do, <laughs> I do agree. So 
I've pretty much said everything. How about you? Oh, there was one last note I wanted to make on the a previous episode. Not the last one we did, but the one before we had, like, asked, oh, oh uh, what do we think about, like, oh, again, if you know, you know, if you don't, don't worry about it, Legato's backstory in the manga and how, like, really dark and, like, kind of trigger warning needed it is. One of us or both of us had made the comment of we don't really know where where and when this anime is airing, what its target audience really is, what it's like considered. And somebody in the comments had said it airs at around like 11 p.m. in Japan. Right. But just like to kind of point out that because it airs so late, it's very clearly meant to be a very mature, like, adults only. Uh, and not even just, like, older teenagers kind of thing. But, like, genuinely, this is 11 o'clock at night. People just got home from, like, the work party they were required to go to. You know? This is definitely, like, the adult swim run. Yeah, exactly. So it is um a little bit of a... Uh, might have to be concerned about if they are going to adapt the legato backstory the way we we know it um from the manga which again if you know you know if you don't you don't but that's like my two cents if if it's airing at 11 o'clock at night there is a chance that it's gonna get it'll be the first podcast we do that starts with a trigger warning (laughs) yeah (laughs) and now anyone listening or uh watching or whatever will know that if they see or hear a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode um that's probably what it is (laughs) (sighs) so Scoring time. What are you going to give it out of six? I'm going to say, I'm going to say three out of six. Very close to leaning on the two and a half out of six. But like, I really, I really think three out of six is a good way to put it. Because if I were to like individually grade the two parts, the two halves of the episode, the first half would be higher. The second half would be much, much lower. Yeah. But it's all as one cohesive episode. It's it's like, yeah, half of this was really good, and the other half I was really confused, so you get half good score. You know, yeah, I was trying to debate, like, what I wanted to give this episode, because the first half, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, there's some pretty compelling stuff there. Uh, the latter half is a disjointed clusterfuck that ends on, a, like, a really good monologue, oddly enough. I'm a little bit more positive than you, but I'm still gonna give it a three. Like, it's kind of edging between, like, three and three and a half. Because I feel like it's just straight average. There are legitimately good things here, but there's also the bad things that we have come to expect from this adaptation. Just the first draft syndrome hit, like, a fucking brick in this episode. Yeah, yeah. You know what I think? Mm. I think Knives needs to just get a plant union. But then you have, like, humans forming, like, anti-plant lobbyist groups, spreading their anti-plant agenda, and stripping all plants of any kind of rights. And then Knives gets to be, like, Plant Malcolm X. (laughs) 